0: You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan.
1: Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Pass rush coming, and Jones is able to get away. And now thinking first down, and Daniel Jones will get it.
0: Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the football Grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Grump!
1: Grump! Happy Monday to you. It's a happy Monday because this weekend we actually got to watch some football. I'm not going to call it a game, but we saw football, and that is something we haven't been able to do since early February of this past year. So it's happy to be getting back into the routine of watching football, complaining about football, being happy about football, you name it. Football is back.
0: Would you consider what we watched on Saturday to be football?
1: No. And I'm going to do my annual rant about preseason football. I still say it is the biggest ripoff in sports. I think it is, you know, for all of these sports and all these leagues that say they value the fan first and how the fan means everything. This is their way to really give an FU to the fan by charging really a penny to see what we saw. I mean, I'm not talking about what we saw on the field performance. This is basically what it is. These are not games. These are not even scrimmages. These are situational practices that are used for talent evaluation. That's it. And that's perfectly fine. They have a very important purpose in the league calendar and getting a team prepared for the regular season. Uh, It's just not what, you know, the league markets it to be. I mean, the league markets it as something that season ticket holders are required to buy, you know, twice a season and to go to. And it's ridiculous. And the perception that fans have who think, oh, we beat the Jets, we lost to the Jets. You know, what did I see on the on the field? Oh, how come this offense is vanilla? Oh, this offensive line sucks. Oh, we're not ready for this season. Fire, get them and blah, 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 blah. It's all meaningless horseshit. And I, I just, you know. If I was commissioner of sports, if I was, I would say for all season ticket holders, you get to go to this for free. It's basically no different to me than the fan fest that people went to on Wednesday night. Um, it is not a game, and that's fine. Um, but you know, what I ask you, Grump, is you know, obviously, the 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 goal of these you know these events has changed over the last couple of years, where this is no longer. Getting players ready to play the regular season and the grind—it's become strictly for talent evaluation. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you agree with that, and you think this is good or bad for the product on the field when it's for real opening weekend.
0: Well, I, I, I agree with that, and I think that that is its actual purpose. You know, in in a different era, training camp meant something entirely different, and so did preseason football. I mean, you go back to those. And people bring this up all the time. They say, like, in the Lawrence Taylor days, you know, they used to go there and do three-a-days and whatever. But but back then, a lot of players were only, like, semi-professional. We, we make, we've heard fans of other teams make the joke that left tackles before Lawrence Taylor were refrigerator salesmen and, 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 you know what I mean, car salesmen. So, you know, guys used to roll up into training camp overweight all the time. And training camp was meant to whip guys back into football shape. And preseason was an extension of that. And what we have now is an entire league of the best athletes in the world where probably only like 5% of them aren't working out like year round.
1: And I remember too, back in the old days when there was a 14 game schedule, they played five and six preseason games before the season started. So it was a real wind up to a season.
0: It, was, it, it functioned completely different because it had a different purpose. Its purpose then was about getting your guys back into football shape, getting reacclimated to the game. It doesn't work like that anymore. These guys live and breathe football all year round, most of them anyway. We're obviously excluding Kelvin Benjamin from this, who inhales hot dogs. Um, but, but now, preseason and training camp's focus is about fine-tuning those skills making sure guys are at football shape where that they are able to withstand a 60 game 60 minute game and not just getting into shape. and on top of that evaluating for your roster the preseason means more to the coaches than anything anybody else on the planet.
1: And, and don't forget too that you know we get more and more coaching turnover now than we ever did before and not just head coaches, assistants, coordinators, they're coming and going at a rapid pace. These guys are getting, you know, promoted to head coaching jobs in college. Guys from college are coming in. Guys are hired. They're fired. They're moving all over the place. So every year, it's not just getting you guys physically fit. It's getting them mentally fit. Your installation of a new offense, tweaking new things based on new personnel. Oh, a new, you know, a new coordinator comes in. Oh, we're now we're running, you know, a different type of offense than we did before. So it's... That's kind of what it's really all about. It's got nothing to do with actually, you know, the result of what happens in these preseason games. And again, that's perfectly fine. But, you know, let's not stop. Let's stop uh, ripping off the fans and, you know, making them pay for things that they think they're seeing and giving them perceptions of things that they're not seeing.
0: Well, I mean, now we're at a a third level of the evolution of preseason now because this is the first season where we have a 17-game regular season schedule and a three-game preseason schedule. So Joe Judge explained exactly what this game was going to mean to him. Now, typically in the past, the, the, uh, I guess, accepted traditional behavior and the way that coaches handled the four preseason games was ramp up the starters, game one, game two, and then game three – was where we saw the quote-unquote trial run for the regular season where the starters would get like one series and then the rest was backups. And then the fourth game was just to figure out who your final guys were going to be. And also, I think probably to parade around guys you knew you couldn't keep, but maybe give them some sort of value on the open market, some trade value or something like that. It doesn't function like that anymore. And this is the first year where we're kind of in this situation where coaches are feeling out how to handle only three preseason games, and Joe Judge is taking the approach of reversing the order of things. So now what we have is a lot of the rookies and the fringe guys playing a lot of snaps in the first preseason game as we slowly ramp up the starters. So we might see the third preseason game uh, you know, going into the, th- the third quarter for starters. I don't really know, but I know that what Joe Judge told us, he w- how he was going to handle this first game was going to be mostly rookies and a lot of backups. And that was to get them the time, you know, the time on the field in front of the coaches and, and quite frankly, in front of the rest of the league um, because that fourth game is no longer. So in this game, we saw very, very few starters. On offense, we saw five starters. We thi- I mean, everything is, is air quotes starters, but five four guys on the offensive line and Darius Slayton that's it one
1: other one other thing too way with the, with the three preseason games only is the last game is Sunday the 29th and then there's two weeks off before usually it was most teams in week four of the preseason played like on that Thursday night and then you had nine to ten days you know could be as little as seven if you were you know the, the Thursday night game but you know anywhere from seven to 10 11. Now it's 14 days. So that's interesting in far as this ramp-up is happening as well. And one other thing, too, Grump, is that this year, like last year was a little crazy, obviously. And the year before, they changed the rules. But there is one, one cut-down day, right? And this year, there's like a mini-cut-down day. They have to cut down, I think, to 85. So they're only cutting five spots. Then the major cut-down is after... Um, week three of preseason where you have all the chaos, but there, there is a little mini cut down this year, which is new.
0: Uh, yeah. And that has to happen by Tuesday or something. That's, that's coming up like right now. Is that today or tomorrow or something?
1: I believe it happens on Tuesday. We're recording this on a Monday night. So by the time, it's you 4 know,
0: PM tomorrow, right? End of business.
1: Yeah. yeah. And so if you have to work tomorrow and can't listen to this at the crack of dawn, by the time you hear this, those cuts will be Um,
0: Yeah. But yeah, you know, I, I do want to – you said FanFest before, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. Uh, I did go. I was able to obtain a ticket the morning of, which was not really the reason I wasn't going. Uh, I, I, I wasn't going because work is crazy, my, my day job, and also I had agreed to watch somebody's pets, and I just was able to finagle my way out of everything. Suddenly and I was able to get a ticket so that was awesome. So shout out to the guy who hooked me up with a ticket um, I'm gonna pull up his name on Twitter while I continue talking and for the for the couple of people that I did meet um, I realize now that without my face on uh, Twitter people don't really know who I am I mean I ran into people I've talked to before you know uh, I ran into Nikki snacks from talking giants and Danny King or sorry Nikki snacks from bleeding blue the history uh, podcast he does with Justin and they've seen me before. They've seen my face. And they still didn't... I had to like... like It's grump. And they're like, oh shit! So I've changed my Twitter profile picture to actually be me for that um, for that purpose. And also thanks to, uh, on Twitter, at authentic A-W-T-H-E-N-T-I-K for h- hooking me up with that free ticket. That was awesome. Thank you so much. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, I hung out with Bobby and Justin a little bit too. And so... It was awesome just to see other people. So I'm excited for this regular season. Every time we go out, I'll, I'll once we're at the stadium, I'll send out a tweet uh, and let you let you guys know where we're at, so you can hang out, have a drink, it's with ver- us, whatever.
1: It's very simple. We're in the Jameson room before every game, unless I'm hauling ass from Gainesville, but uh, that's usually where you can find us. So in between, on the uh, w- uh, east side of the stadium, that one big bar around the. 20 yard line that way so we're there
0: yeah usually if, so if there's there might be some kind of cool tailgate or something that we have to go to, or that we we want to go to We want to go
1: to someone <laughs> to invite us <laughs> yeah uh,
0: honestly the the best way to find out where we are is to follow us on twitter um i'm at football underscore grump obviously he's at the cranky fan but really truly it was awesome seeing people i didn't really have a ticket or a plan to go to the fan fest thing and so I wasn't really prepared to say I. So I missed everybody, really. And I didn't even realize I was standing next to a lot of the people that we talked to. I was standing next to Frank the Tank. And we communicated afterwards that we realized we were standing right next to each other and didn't know. Oh, uh, for God's sakes. <laughs> yeah, really. It was, it was kind of a total mess. I lost my car. It was a, it was a mess. I, oh, Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, I, am... I, I park at the stadium basically never. So I parked in lot <laughs> J, which I've never been in before. And I had no idea where I parked
1: there. It was a mess. But, well, it's it's preseason for giant fans as well.
0: Exactly. Uh, so, you know, that that is that is the thing. So that's rough. It's and, a rough start. <laughs> it's okay. I've learned my lesson. We I've met people. You know, it's it's a, we we've got this now. Um, but as to the game itself, um, not very illuminating, and it shouldn't be. But we want to see a couple things so we'll, we'll we'll get into it here but but real generally things not to take into account what plays are run um what formations you see on the field what guys get snaps with what teams that stuff may be indicative of something but it it's pretty likely that it's not indicative of much or it's at least not indicative of what you think it is so you know, you can take note of it if you want, but don't bank on that to be evidence of anything. You know, just just let things play out because all sorts of weird shit was done during this game, and, and it's not really worth wondering when you can just wait and find out because you might just be wasting a lot of your own time. Um, exactly, yeah.
1: I mean, first of all, you know, the fact that it's Jets-Giants means absolutely nothing. Nothing, nothing to the... Nothing to the players, nothing to the coaches. I mean, they, they may give some lip service how, oh, you know, it's nice to win, but it means absolutely zero. And the Jets be playing in Kansas City for all we know and all we honestly care about. You know, they're not doing anything differently because it's the Jets. They're, you know, it's not a division team. It's not a conference team. It's a team they play once every four years, I guess they play them. That's correct. Uh, yeah, unless there's something well, wonky. No, with, no, no with now scheduled. it's
0: going to be different, right, because we have an AFC an extra out-of-conference game every year now, for us it's the Dolphins this year. But I don't know
1: what. Right, think. but it's not always going to be the the East, though, right? I'm I'm assuming. No,
0: I, I guess you would rotate, but you know we might play the Jets more than every four years because of it or something.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know how that's going to work out. I mean, I know you know I'm I'm assuming the way you are going to calculate the, the schedule will be based on the formula on you know what place you come in for these extra games or not, but. Point being, though, it's just there's no sense of pride or anything. It's just they're just trying to they're getting their reps in and they're getting their reps in in a glorified scrimmage way to determine things. Um, You know, there are some things, like you said, you can gleam out of this, like people that maybe didn't play that you would think would be playing because their jobs are on the line. Like Kadarius Tony not playing is even with everything that he's gone through this offseason means nothing to me. The fact that Sam Beal didn't play means means a lot to me. It tells me something. It tells me, don't buy a Sam Beal jersey right now because he's not going to be a member of this team on opening day.
0: Yeah, everything is going to mean something different to everybody else. So it's really, if you want to look at things really carefully and, and try and figure things out, you got to be doing a lot of work that may not be worth it. But, um. I mean, we'll get into how some things went here. Uh, I think the best way to do this is we're going to start with the offensive line because I think the offense is the thing that most fans are most concerned about, and I think the offensive line is the thing that most thing most fans are concerned about. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of question marks here, right? Like, you know, Nick Gates had a great year last year, but it was his first year at center. I wanted to make sure that he continued on that upward trend. Andrew Thomas was another one who started out slow last year and got very good by the end of the year. I wanted to make sure that upward trend was ha- happening. Will Hernandez is moving to the right side. The left side, Shane Lemieux couldn't play, so we were getting a look at our, our backup here, Kenny Wiggins, who the coaches said they were high on. And Matt Parrot was getting the start at right tackle. Nate Solder didn't play, uh, was inactive, I whatever. Um, we have him penciled in as the starter at right tackle, but... We don't know anything about Matt Perry. He got very few snaps last year. So it was a lot to really take in on that offensive line. And the first teamers that went out there, it was honestly pretty good. I It was better than I was expecting. I mean, Kenny Wiggins was the big problem. I mean, super disgusting whiff right on the second play of the game. Completely just arms out whiff and uh, got beaten for a hit on the quarterback on the play- on what was a well-designed and well-run play-action pass otherwise. Um, Kenny Wiggins is bad, and the amount of reps that I saw from him, I don't think anything was really particularly good. It was at best average on some run-blocking plays, but... If he's going to be the first guy off the bench at the interior offensive line spot, and we don't know that yet, obviously. We're not at the regular season, so don't overreact to what I'm saying. But if he's the first guy off the bench to play any of those interior positions, we're in trouble because I don't know that he can make it a couple of refs without screwing something up, really, truly.
1: You know, it's almost, maybe it's a little blessing in disguise that Daniel Jones wasn't playing this week because you can can afford a little bit of the experimentation of who is going to the different combinations of who's playing on the line. Like he may not have gotten that opportunity to play with the ones that Daniel Jones is playing. They might've figured something else out, but now that, you know, there's a backup in and not that they're trying to get anybody killed or anything, but the risk is a lot lower. If your starting franchise quarterback is not playing. So that's what these games are for. Nobody cares wins or losses. You know, we, we care about people getting hurt or not, but that's why this is the opportunity to try different things and to see. And, yeah, he was a mess. That whiff was like – and I can, I can sense it too, like watching it just like – not so much me getting like, ooh, that was ugly, but ooh, everybody saw this and narratives are starting all over the place. So that was not good.
0: But I will say, other than Kenny Wiggins, everything else looked pretty good here for the starters. I mean, Nick Gates, I didn't even need to take any notes. I watched him barrel somebody into the second level and put him on his ass – That's great. Andrew Thomas looked really, really good. He wasn't perfect, but he looked really, really good. At one point, he dumped somebody on their ass. And I think it was Mike Glennon had like six years to throw a pass.
1: Um, Let me ask you something, Grump. I mean, what are we, again, let's keep it in perspective. We are, what, day nine of training camp? Are we that? Yeah, we're still only on day nine where, you know, again, it's still his, really his first training camp. Last year was just a big mess. So, you know, I don't expect perfection right now. I don't expect it this season. I expect to see, like you said, natural progression and development, and it's going to just take reps. And that's, you know, that's that fine line in training camp where, you know, if I knew I had a guarantee he would not get hurt during training camp, I'd have him take every rep possible in these three games. So they have to balance that out. But, you know. Uh, from what I wanted to see out of a guy like him, I was pleased.
0: Yeah, it was it was it was really good. The one I was most concerned about, really, was not Matt Parrott. It was Will Hernandez, who had a rough year last year and is now switching to the right guard position for the first time in his life that I know of. I mean, he played every year at UTEP at left guard, so I was I was worried about what that was going to look like, and he looked very comfortable at right guard, absolutely solid in both the run and pass game, Will Hernandez looked comfortable. He wasn't perfect, but I don't expect him to be perfect. But he looked more than ready to play uh, like if this were a regular season game. He looked very comfortable in that spot. And that was really, really encouraging because that seems to be where the coaching staff is intent on leaving him. I mean, Shane Lemieux got hurt in practice. He was pulled, and rather than bring in what we all considered to be the best interior offensive lineman off the bench, Kyle Fulton, in at right guard and sliding Hernandez back to left, they did not do that at all. They left Will Hernandez right where he was at right guard, and they brought in Kenny Wiggins at left guard. That was the coaching staff's preferred move, and I think, A, that's partly because they knew Shane Lemieux was not hurt so badly, or they they wanted to make sure he was hurt very badly before they made a drastic switch like that. And, B they're just simply committed to that formation. They're committed to Shane Lemieux at left guard and Will Hernandez at right guard. The backups be damned. So It
1: would yeah, it would have served no purpose to do that. They're not trying to win a game. If this was, you know, a game in early October, I could see them doing that. But right now, if you're trying to develop Will Hernandez as a right guard, don't screw him up anymore by slipping him over there just so you can get reps to, you know, serve some meaningless purpose. So that's Grub, I'm looking at my notes here, and I have Will Hernandez, but I have no note next to it. So I'm trying to remember why I wrote it. I'm assuming it wasn't because of something bad, so it must have been something good he did. So, yeah, I mean,
0: <laughs> he was steady. I mean, he didn't have a splash play or a pancake that I could think of. Um, but but the fact that he's you know,
1: I I don't have to have a pancake every trying to be successful. You're you keep the quarterback you know on his uh, on his feet. Keep a hole for the running back to run through. That pancake nonsense is is the stupidest thing. You know, Pancake was created by Ohio State as a hype machine to get Orlando Pace, the Heisman Trophy, which was a dumb thing anyway. But it doesn't matter. You don't have to knock somebody on his ass. It looks good. You know, it's, it's nice for Chris Berman to act like an idiot during, you know, NFL primetime. But just hold your block. Keep, keep the quarterback upright. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um. So this is this is the thing that I think a lot of people were concerned about is that Matt Parr gave up a sack on the third play of the game, which was by the way right after Kenny Wiggins whiffed and got a hit on Mike Lennon. Mike Lennon then got sacked right off the off the snap. Now I watched this play multiple times, and I'm I'm really not like an offensive line expert as to tell you why things went wrong, but I think really truly when I look at it, he just waited way too long to put to make contact. You have to. Kick step, you know, you move your feet like a typewriter, you know, slide, all that stuff. But you've got to keep getting your hands on it. You cannot allow just a contact free trip around you. And you know, somebody running a, a good defensive end or outside linebacker running straight and then just bending the corner is always going to be faster and easier to do than it will be for a tackle to slide his feet and kick step his way out there. So that's why you got to keep punching, you know, while you're doing this to to keep them off balance, to keep them from just getting a free ride around you. And that's essentially what happened. Matt Parrott waited until he was almost shoulders turned to make contact, and at that point, you're almost throwing the guy into the quarterback. So it, it was a bad rep, but I will say for Matt Parrott, it was kind of the only bad rep. So I was gonna say it wasn't chronic. correctable thing. Yeah, no, yeah. It was a it's a correctable mistake. It's okay, and quite frankly. With the amount of playing time he got in the regular season last year, this is when I want this to happen. I want to see the mistakes happen now in preseason when Daniel Jones is not taking snaps, you know, behind you. This is the time to make the mistakes, dude. Let Mike Lennon get creamed. Let him spike it or just take a knee or whatever. This is the time for that. So it's okay. And again, it wasn't... Kenny Wiggins was terrible, right? He had a whiff. He fucked up a bunch of other times, Um this was really Matt Parrott's only mistake. So worth monitoring in the future preseason games, worth monitoring with beat reporters and the reports on the training camp and the process and how it goes, but not anything to freak out about. Thank
1: we, We're not making any definitive statements after game one for most things. There's some things we can definitely say. This type of situation, no, this is a work in process.
0: Yeah. Other than that, the only real note I have on offensive linemen – is on backup Chad Slade, and the reason is because he's been with the team for several years now. Um, I think you're looking at him. I, I had him as almost assuredly making the roster, uh, especially in the wake of the retirements of you know uh, Joe Looney and and Kyle Fulton and them. And now now Kyle Murphy is I, well, injured reserve. Yeah, he's IR. So, I mean, yeah, now, he's, he's
1: done. Yeah.
0: But Chad Slade had a rough night. I mean, he took a lot of snaps. He had a false start at one point. I believe the only false start in the game. And he got beat, which is fine. But getting beat late in the fourth quarter for a guy like Chad Slade should not be happening. And I didn't take note of which Jet beat him. But I think the fact that I can't remember his name probably says everything you need to know. So that's not good for a guy that you think is probably going to make the roster. It's okay if he doesn't. But it's a shame that we have to, you know, deal with it. You know, you'd hope that a guy who's been with you this long, you know, maybe tackle just isn't the spot for Chad Slade. You know, he can play multiple positions. Maybe maybe the interior is better for him.
1: Does he play any of them good enough to, to, for that versatility to keep him on the roster? That's the question.
0: Well, I mean, it, it comes down to is he better than anybody else available on your roster or on
1: cut? On the street, yeah.
0: I mean, that's what it comes down to, really. It's not if, if it's well enough or it becomes if he if there's nobody better, it just is what it is.
1: Right. The question is, will they roll the dice making that assumption before checking out the open market?
0: I mean, it's, it's a fair chance that they won't. I mean, Chad Slade is not a Joe Judge guy. Joe Judge kept him last year and this year, but, I mean, he has no commitments to this guy. So... You know it's worth monitoring. I thought I thought he was going to be like a lock as a backup, but really the getting beat late in the fourth is what is what was more disappointing to me. A false start's going to happen, whatever.
1: Yeah, that's going to happen by you know anybody. That, Especially that's,
0: this is the first time these guys are playing with a
1: crowd, forever. That's true. So, uh, we want to talk about about the uh, the backup quarterbacks. Uh, have you lost your lunch from that performance from all those guys?
0: I told you guys last year. Because I did draft a review of Clayton Thorson. He fucking sucks. I have no <laughs> idea what this what this administration's commitment to him was.
1: But... Well it doesn't matter, he's gone. So he's, he's, well, not... he's
0: gone now, yeah. He
1: I believe, yeah. is injured reserved or oh he was waved. Yeah, he, he had a concussion I believe and then they just I think the injured reserve got him.
0: Yeah, I believe he sustained an injury on the, the sack in which he it was like a safety, right?
1: Yes, that's correct. But again, we're ta- we're talking about a guy who's trying to be the third quarterback on the roster. Again, if we're if you ever have to get to that situation in a real game, your season's over. Yeah. So I, I think people are freaking out a little bit too much about guys like him. The question is, you know, Glennon, what you think of how Napoleon Dynamite played? Because he <laughs> he was bad. And you know, if you go back, you you, you kind of know him. You, like you've seen him with the Bucks, you've seen him with the Raiders. You kind of forget that his... You know his starting record is like six and twenty-five. It's awful.
0: Well, I mean, he's not very good, but, but yeah. Not a lot of backup quarterbacks in the NFL are
1: very good. What you? But he mean, wasn't a backup quarterback. He was a starting quarterback for a while for the, for, for the Bucks. For,
0: what? He, well, okay. The dra- The without going completely off the rails, the Bucks went through a couple of years where I have no idea what they were doing in the draft, and I want to say it was like seven years in a row. Mm-hmm. They really, truly were s- circling the toilet bowl for a couple of years. There was one year we played them. I want to say it was 2009. The Giants weren't even really that good. And they didn't get a first down until the third quarter.
1: Oh, it was later than that. We were at that game. That was like – that wasn't that that long ago. That might have been a Jameis year.
0: No. No, I'm pretty sure it was 2009 or 10. It was was a while ago. But, but, you know, Mike Glennon – somebody on twitter brought this up like what was the point of bringing in a vanilla guy instead of just keeping colt mccoy well i mean i'm not really going to agree that they're they're equally vanilla i think they're, they're they're one's better than the other in in some ways and one's better than the other in other ways i think colt mccoy is a much more uh i think he's a much more intelligent and natural quarterback uh, in terms of his makeup i think he just knows how to be a quarterback he was he was stellar at Texas. You know, he—he's—we we all knew he had shortcomings coming into the draft, and that he probably wasn't going to make it in the NFL. Um, well, I mean, I guess except Cleveland, right, because they drafted him. But, um, but but he's a natural quarterback. He he understands the position. It feels like he's been playing it for a hundred years. Um, but he doesn't have much of an arm, and that was super evident in the Seattle game and the other game that he played. For the Giants uh, last year, he was just he he can't the, the the deep game is gone from the playbook. He can't make the throw, period. Now where Mike Glennon comes in, I don't think he's as intelligent as Colt McCoy, but he does not at all eliminate the deep game. I mean, if the one thing that Glennon has, it's a cannon and a fairly accurate cannon. So I mean, I think what the coaching staff saw was you know if there's ever a game where Daniel Jones can't play or if he's got to leave. I'd rather have a guy who we don't have to eliminate things from the playbook and just make sure he's coached up than have a guy where we've got to come up with a whole other game plan where we're relying more on the run or more on short stuff. I think that was just it. I think they didn't want to be limited game
1: plan-wise. So so their philosophy is to win this game and not worry about the four-week stretch if the quarterback is out for a month. It's, yeah, I, I think they it's, understand. It's, it's, the win, it's to win reward. this game. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's... 100% what it is. And I think Glennon was okay. You know what I mean? He he didn't look like a deer in the headlights. I mean, No. He also, I mean, for the short time he played, he got sacked and hit back-to-back plays that affected two of his throws. He also got his arm hit, I think.
1: And also, let's talk about, you know, the excuses we were making for Daniel Jones last year is he had no weapons. Like, who is he throwing to? I mean, it's not exactly like he had Jerry Rice and uh, Odell Beckham as his receiving targets in this game. He didn't.
0: Yeah, like I said, the only other starter aside from four offensive linemen was Darius Slayton. Um, So, and and the Jets played a lot of their starters. So, you know, both of these coaches approach this game a little differently. That doesn't mean anything. I'm just saying it Um, because it's relevant. You know, if if Darius Slayton is going against, you know, a
1: a first string corner
0: versus a, obviously he's going to be kind of wiped out, I guess, you know.
1: Yeah, he's a, he's not a one.
0: He's not a one. Yeah. So so, the the two things I found funny about Clayton Thorson though is that I don't think I've seen an NFL quarterback miss a wide receiver so badly as to throw it in the stands in quite some time. <laughs> but that happened, and and not just a receiver. I mean, a wide open receiver. I think it was Damian Willis was wide open deep on a go route, and he just tossed it into to a lucky fan.
1: Yeah, the one angle they showed when it was like the. I mean, the, the, the camera was behind the play. It was just, you see the, the trajectory of the ball. It's just like, where the hell is that going?
0: You just see the shadow.
1: Yeah, it's ridiculous.
0: Uh-huh. The, the one thing, though, I mean, and we, we can praise him, I guess, for this, but, you know, he converted a third down on a throw to David Sills. But it was just very funny. They came from a timeout, and I think it was like third and four. They come out from the sideline, line up. He immediately recognized zero coverage, completely audible the play. To leave David Sills all on his own, one on one, and just—and this is where I'm not going to praise him at all—he didn't even aim. He just took the snap, backed up, and just chucked it up Matt Stafford style. But you know, <laughs> David Sills is not Calvin Johnson, so it was a fingertip catch. He's but not I just even was Calvin Johnson. <laughs> they, they had, yeah, they had a, they had a, a whole timeout where they came up with this play, and as soon as he came out there, he just audibled the whole thing to just. I'm just going to throw it to David Sills one on one because he's six four. I just thought it was very funny. Um. But, um. So we're talking about David Sills. I didn't have a whole lot on the wide receivers or tight ends in this game, but David Sills was somebody I think a lot of fans were keying on. I know I had my eye on him just to see what the coaches had him doing and how they, they had him playing out there right away. Um. You know, and he is kind of that Kenny Galladay size. You know, he's the only one on the roster that mimics Galladay in that way. So. Is getting reps with starters, if it happens going forward, maybe more indicative of having a guy that replicates Kenny Galladay than it is on his own skills? I don't know. So just something, if he doesn't make the team, you know, just keep that in mind. If, if you're like, oh, he played so many snaps in preseason, why'd they do that? It may, it may be just because of the size.
1: You know, they were definitely trying to, you know, run plays. I think, you know, better personnel will execute. And you can see kind of what we're trying to do in the future. Like, Sills... They did a wide receiver screen to him, like, it was early second quarter. Now, I just kept thinking, that's the play that they're going to run for Kadarius Toney. Get the ball out to him really quick in space, let him do his thing. They ran an end around for, uh, uh, what's his name, C.J. Bort. Right, six, early, he's got six minutes into the first quarter. I'm like, that's a play that Kadarius Toney is going to run. He did it in Florida. He'll be doing it here as well. So, you could see some things, right? Like, you know, people were really quick to jump all over Jason Garrett for, like, same old crappy offense, nothing has changed, blah, blah, blah. But you can see some elements that he tried to, you know, install, and they did try to execute, maybe not with the personnel they want to, you know, when the lights go on in September. But things that, with the right personnel, could be pretty effective.
0: 100%. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I noted the C.J. Board, first of all, just to finish up on sales, I I thought he looked good. He didn't look great. He wasn't stellar. He wasn't a preseason hero. He had some ups and he had some downs. The fingertip catch was great. He also drew a pass interference call in the red zone that, that got screwed up for other reasons. But he he also didn't look amazing. I mean, I think I think he had a drop at one point. He just, he looked good. I'm looking forward to seeing more.
1: Remember what he is and what the purpose of him is too. He's not trying to be the number one receiver on this team. He's trying to be guy to make the roster and get into the rotation. So... Keep
0: that in mind. On the flip side, I thought CJ Board looked great. Um, you know, they had him doing a whole bunch of stuff that I don't think he's going to do. Uh, I, I believe he was the only active punt returner and kick returner for this game. Because I think the other guys are like Sterling Shepard, Kadarius, Tony, you know, Dory Jackson. All those guys were inactive. So I don't know the fact the fact that he returned punts and kicks may not be his actual role. But he didn't look bad doing it. He looked okay. I mean, if, if, if anything ever happened where it would have to be C.J. Board to return kicks and punts, I don't think he would be a detriment. He'll never be explosive to, to take one to the house, I don't think, but
1: he's, look, he won't look the, up. The, let's be honest, too. The way the rules are now, we've almost taken kick returns out of the equation altogether, so, you know, probably four out of five kick returns go in the back of the end zone as it is. So, you know, the the, the hope for a kick return for a touchdown is so rare anyway at this point, just for the the attempt to do it, that I, I, I think that's something that people worry about. Like, it, it's a lost art in this game, and it's a lost... They're probably trying to get rid of it altogether, kick returns, you, the, the you know the injuries and everything caused from it. So I wouldn't get too crazy that we don't have on this roster a, a true kick return guy. And even if they go down to but somebody getting hurt... Yeah, but I mean, even if, like... You have injuries, and it goes down to, you know, these guys. It's not the end of the universe. It's not like we're down to our third or fourth string quarterback when this happens. That's my point.
0: Yeah, no, that's 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 100% correct. But I think even as a wide receiver, I thought I think C.J. Board looked solid. Um, and that, that end around in general, um, I, I have that noted that he looked fast, you know, but also I rewatched that play several times, and Eli Penny had some great work on that play, you know. CJ board comes in on, on motion. So we see there are man coverage. There's a guy following him across the formation. It's Eli Penny's job to take that guy out. Well, Penny runs kind of like a counter motion and then goes out in front as a lead blocker for CJ board on the end around to the left side. Um, And there's two guys that are supposed to be keeping contained there that got beat. They got burned. You know, they came in too much. Eli Penny could have taken them out, but instead he just ran around them, and just by getting in between them and C.J. Board, he effectively, air quotes, blocked them, and then went ahead and took out the guy who's actually Kadarius Tony's man in coverage, whatever, takes him out, and it was really just the, the free safety that made that tackle there. Otherwise... You know, Board may be off to the races. And again, if that's Kadarius, Tony, we're talking about a whole other level of speed. I mean, shit, if that's Sterling Shepard, we're talking about a whole other level of speed. So, you know, all elements of that play was really good. It wasn't just C.J. Board looking good. That play was executed really well, down to the fullback. And I say that only because I was kind of curious to see how Colin Gillespie looked. I don't even think he's going to make the roster. He, he didn't really play... On offense until late in the game. And Eli Penny looked solid. So there's really no reason to change what isn't broken. Um, the running backs was going to be interesting because we know Barkley is the guy. But it's going to be who's the first guy. They went out, they signed Devontae Booker. They have Corey Clement. Booker looked a little slow. Clement looked very decisive with good burst. But then he fumbled in the red zone. So, I, I, I mean, at, at this point, if he didn't fumble, I'd say... Corey Clement might be the number two guy. I don't even know if we keep Devontae Booker. I'm not really sure what's going to happen now. But once the fumble came in, they're effectively even again.
1: Yeah, but you know something, these guys aren't rookies. And, you know, if it's something, this is a first-year guy or a second-year guy, you know, I think that matters a lot more than for someone like him. I mean, it's very, it's unfortunate. It completely changes your perception and the narrative about him. But I don't think it's the, I don't think the coaches think it's as much of the end of the world as we do in that battle. I think it's still, I I, I think he's still, the way he played overall on Saturday, I think right now he might still have the inside trackboard. I don't think it's as devastating as we might think it is. That's not saying it wasn't a horrible timing and it just, you know, how it just kind of popped up in the air. looked awful. felt like it was in the air for 20 minutes. But again, I think with the coin that he has built up, you know, I, I, I don't think it's the end of the world for him
0: yeah i don't i don't think it's the end of the world i do think that he had a chance to to take the lead in that race but he lost it there i think they are even because of it um but but that's also because i don't think booker looked bad he just didn't look great that's it, it it's just clear-cut running wise i just think clement looked better
1: i don't think that's that fumble was an equalizer i think he still has a neck ahead of him i think but we'll you know we'll see again we're not making decisions after week one. You know, who's leading in the race right now is irrelevant. You know, something could change, you know, next Saturday night or in practice tomorrow or, you know, or whatever. But, I mean, it's definitely the battle we're going to – because it's it's an important battle. You know, we're excited that Barkley is active, activated. We're excited he's practicing. Doesn't mean he's going to be on the field much, if all, in week one. We, we hope so. I mean, signs are pointing towards it, but – also, is it 100% Barkley? Is it 80%? Is this all a smokescreen? You know, for, for week one, that he's actually not going to play. We don't know. So this battle is very important because, you know, until the, the transition for Barkley to play full time and even dispel him for a down or a series, you know, this is this is going to be a very critical part of this offense. The the backup uh, running back
0: yeah and and congratulations to sandro platz who who took off with like a 50 yard run he showed some good vision and some good bursts uh it, it, that's awesome for him because you know i i just don't know that he'll ever really make an nfl roster i think he he might end up in something like the cfl or something like that but 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 i i you know just happy for him he looked cool he looked good
1: yeah i mean you know the xfl is starting up again next year i mean there are opportunities for guys like that it's not nfl or bust anymore there are semi-pro leagues there's you know i'm sure there's some version of the arena league that's out there uh canada as you mentioned and you know just keep working and grinding um but it's nice to get you know 15 minutes of fame and that's we kind of would have gotten that one run it's yeah. so good for him yeah
0: yeah and it, and it was good you know he he Probably can hang around in the league, but he'll probably never get a fair enough shot to, to get there. But whatever. It, it, neither here nor there. Just, I guess my disclaimer is don't get too excited because it's just, it's not even an uphill battle. I just don't know. He would have to be like insane to make the roster.
1: We, we, we talked about this, you know, when we were talking about those, those linemen who we signed and ultimately retired. That you need bodies for training camp. You need bodies for reps. You need values for guys to play late in the fourth quarter where you're kind of done evaluating that position and you don't want any of your other guys at risk to get hurt. So if these guys get a chance, you know, you reward them. They, they, they've gone through the drills and they've gone through the conditioning, you know, during a hot summer, you know, training camp. Give them a couple of runs out there and see what happens. Maybe somebody somewhere out there might be more interested than you are. That's, that's all this is. But don't, don't stay up late tonight worrying about if he's making the roster because – he most likely is
0: not. Now I want to switch over to the defense here um, and talk about the guy who was the most impressive, at least in my opinion, uh, in this game, and that was Carter Coughlin playing inside linebacker for the first time in his life. He looked like he's been playing it for forever. He looked ridiculously comfortable inside linebacker. His big thing though is he did he did make a mistake, and I caught he was coming in on. Um, a loop around the right side. And I I, I guess like his his job was um, the running back. And if the running back is staying in to block, then you blitz. And if he goes out for a pass, you're he's your guy in coverage. And he just came flying in there like a missile while the running back was coming out. So he, he realized his mistake too. And he kind of put the brakes on and turned around. But he got beat. He got beat. But other than that, not only did he play a clean game, he played a very good game. At one time, he blew a running back up in the, on a blitz in the backfield. I mean, he really looked like he's been playing inside linebacker for a while. And for, you know, we were saying throughout training camp, you know, Tay Crowder is not doing so good. Reggie Raglan's not there. Blake Martinez isn't, you know, there. We can't be going into preseason with just Carter Coughlin and Tay Crowder up there. Now I don't even have a problem.
1: You know, Yeah, but... I was say, you feel better now a little bit after what you saw.
0: Yeah, I mean, if Blake Martinez, if the best move is for him to just take very limited rips in the preseason for health reasons or, or whatever, I i don't care. That's fine. I know what Blake Martinez is. That's all right. Carter Coughlin is showing that he is not a total disaster back there and that he's actually pretty good. I feel great because also Reggie Ragland looked pretty good. Um, you know, I've, I've always had a pretty high opinion of him just generally coming out of Alabama. I had notes on him. You know, I, I liked him coming out of Alabama He turned out to be not as good as I thought, but he's still pretty good. He looked fine as a backup inside linebacker. He honestly would be fine as a starting inside linebacker. So,
1: you know, now – It's funny. A lot of these guys who come from Alabama, usually they're such high recruits. They're five stars. They're big names that a perception comes with them that you kind of give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt what they play in college. And then when you see them in the NFL against the big boys, then it starts to change. I think Raglan might be one of those type of guys where now we kind of calibrate what he actually is, as opposed to, oh, he's another one from the Alabama machine, you know, can't miss guy and everything.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think I think for him, he's always going to be like a fringe starter. And I think that's kind of how he played. I think if he has to be a starter for five games, I, it's okay. You know, it, you know, if he's, well, I mean, it's especially okay if he's playing next to Blake Martinez, but, you know, just in general.
1: With the way this defense played last year and the way they kind of fortified some things as well, it's okay. You know, this isn't a sieve defense where if one good guy is out, we're all screwed. I mean, this is a pretty solid, it's a pretty solid scheme we're running and pretty solid players and personnel we have. So we can withstand if he, he has to be the guy and, you know, for, you know, an extended period or not, if we get banged up too heavily, that's a different story. But, you know, if it's just like, one or two guys out, and he's one of the ones who has to fill the void, I'd feel okay with with the personnel around him.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in talking about this, um, Tay Crowder also, he looked pretty comfortable. He's still young, though. I mean, he's still new to the inside linebacker position, and you can kind of see that he came in on a blitz, and it looked like he just doubted himself for one second, and it was enough for the throw to get off before he got a hit on the quarterback. And I think that if he just went... I think he blows that play apart.
1: I think these young guys. I think when the more and more you play becomes more and more instinct. There's less, you know, the thinking goes away. That is that's just what more reps and more playing.
0: Yeah, um, one of the few rookies who actually did get to play was Azizo Jelari. Um, he didn't play for very long, and he was also playing opposite Makai Becton, who, you know. It's just the perfect storm for Aziz to not look very good. I mean, he's, he's incredibly young. We knew his play strength was not his strength coming into the NFL. It was mostly going to be speed. And Mikay Becton is one of the strongest guys on the friggin' planet. So, you know, he didn't have his super splash play, and everybody knows the one play that Aziz did make. He kind of, uh, you know, he got that one punch from Mikay Becton, and then he just kind of like stiff-armed him, got away from him, and made a, a play on a running back in the backfield. It was a good play. Um, you know, not much indicative of what Ogillary's, uh strength and what he brings to this team in this game. But, you know, just keep watching. Don't get down on him. That this was not a, a matchup where he's going to win a whole lot of. And I think in a game where they're game planning, I think they move O'Gillari to the other side probably. They might factor in a lot more O'Shane Ziminis or Lorenzo Carter
1: you yeah. know, for that matchup. Also- Also, look who is playing around him, too. I mean, a guy like him is getting more of a focus. You know, he's going to he'll blend in a lot more when you get, you know, Leonard Williams and all these other guys, you know, playing around him. All of a sudden now he's kind of the feature guy because it's just you're playing with a patchwork, you know, a combination of backups and rookies and guys just trying to make the roster. So the situation is different, too. And and it's also playing rather vanilla as well. You don't see anything crazy out there. Um, the one rookie I kind of noticed when, you know, what your take was, was, uh, or Rod- Williams. What do you think of him?
0: Okay. So, uh, so to give you the full context, I wasn't very high on the Rodarius Williams draft pick to begin with. I had some serious questions about him because he's so very good in man coverage. Uh, but I was really worried. He didn't really seem to give anything in run support. And I just didn't, I didn't know how that was ever going to translate to the NFL where coaches will just know something like this and just run at you until you're forced to either sub them out or change your defense entirely to accommodate it or whatever. But throughout training camp, I heard nothing but good things. I went to the fan fest and Jesus Christ, sick as hell. I mean, he really had some great pass breakups, and he just looked really good. So fast forward to Saturday where I'm not attending the game, and I am not watching it live on TV. I'm in Hershey Park. And I'm occasionally checking Twitter where all I'm seeing is, you know, fans, you know, people I respect, you know, very intelligent fans and beat writers all saying, look, you know, Rodarius Williams is having a tough night, whatever. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, the way they were describing it, I thought he was just getting annihilated. And I mean that like in the way where even in man coverage, he couldn't keep up with guys. And then when I watched it, I kind of understood it. It looked like the coaches were putting him in a situation to test where he's not as good, and that's off-man coverage and zone coverage. And he also got some snaps in the slot, which, as I understand it from beat writers, he hasn't even practiced in training camp yet. So the coaches were practicing putting him in situations that were not his comfort zone. So I'm much more okay with the result I saw. And again, he was targeted often, and passes were completed in front of him, but he wasn't getting super burned. I mean he was right there everything was kept right in front of him and truly what I thought was the case when I was reading is that everything was behind him that he's playing catch-up he's chasing guys or guys are beating him. the safety's got to make the tackle was not the case
1: I, I felt a little bit like he was chasing quite a bit especially early on I think I think he he got a little better as we went going but in the beginning I that's like one of the first notes I have is or Darius Williams rough start
0: yeah yeah, and he, he got a little bit better as the game went on. But ultimately, the most important thing... Oh, oh, actually, he got a lot better. He had a good pass breakup in the fourth quarter. He also had a fumble recovery in return. Take a lap, though. You got tackled by the quarterback, buddy. Come on. Can't do that. Um, but...
1: I would that that's a little something I wanted to kind of bring up was... Uh, we saw quite a bit of uh, taunting calls throughout the weekend around the league. For things that didn't really seem much like taunting. It seems like it's pretty obvious... They're going to be cracking down on that this year. Like there's a mandate coming from above. What do you you feel about this?
0: Um, I did – look, the NFL every year has a focus thing, and it's one or two penalties that they are either changing the rules or they want to enforce the same rules that have always existed tighter. They do this every single year, and we always find out about it. This one is one that I don't understand. And that's simply it. I just don't get... I understand what the rule is and what they're trying to enforce. I just don't understand why. Because there's an inconsistency right from the beginning. Because, like, two years ago, they have completely eliminated the celebration... Like, just about completely eliminated the touchdown celebration penalty. You have to be really fucking around to get that penalty now. And they made that clear. And now we have, and you've railed about this too, where it's inauthentic and whatever, but the fact of the matter is, authentic or inauthentic, we have touchdown celebrations of 50 of the 53 guys dancing in the end zone. And it's it's completely scripted, it's pre-planned, you know, it's understood, and it's, it's, it's honestly, I don't understand how you can allow something like that And have a problem with immediate as soon as the play is over what appears to me to be just an emotional release Just guys being happy. It doesn't seem to be directed at an opposing player or anything like that. It just it's just an actual uh, Authentic or at least it feels authentic. It looks authentic to me an emotional release guys excited about the big play and it's just now it's the fucking penalty. Not only I, I you have to understand, because this is only going to happen on big plays, it's going to eliminate whatever big play. And I think that's
1: Well what's the problem? Well I think you're wrong because I don't think it's just the big play. I think the problem is this is starting to seep down into not only just the big play, it's to you know and University of Miami was you know, if we want to go back to another generation, back in the late eighties, every time they gained a first down, helmet came off. They just danced around like like jackasses. It's like that wasn't a big play. That was a gain of twelve. So what happens is the the bar of what constitutes me getting excited and going into the theatrics is dropping and dropping and dropping. And you know, again, you just you encapsulated perfectly how I feel about all that stuff. I think it's all silly and 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 for five year olds, but. The second it gets aimed at someone directly, I mean, that to me should be a flag because, you know something, these guys are ready to go. And, you know, the league doesn't want brawls. The league doesn't want cheap shots. The league doesn't want dirty hits. And, you know, something as much as it's, quote unquote, part of the game now to have 30 guys in the end zone, you know, doing their scripted thing. It's kind of like it's accepted that's going to happen. They go off, and they do it away from everything else. And so be it. If I put a hit on somebody or I stop you or I get a first down in your face and I turn and I look at you the wrong way, you know, that guy's going to be super pissed. And it may not be in the actual moment. It might be the next time I get a chance. I'm going to light that fucker up, you know, I, and, and you're going to see real problems down the line. And that's the the league absolutely does not want to happen. I mean, these guys are some of the best athletes in the world. It's a great game. The the game is exciting enough with putting on all this nonsensical bullshit. And I think, you know, the concession was, we'll let you do your little show dances in the end zone, but, you know, direct it towards the crowd. Direct it towards yourself. Don't direct it at someone else because it can go off the rails really quickly. And I'm I, I'm glad the NFL is doing it. I may sound like the old guy, you know, waving my fist at the clouds, but to me, they're we are losing all sorts of decorum in society. You know, we act like complete animals on Twitter towards each other. You know, do we have to act like animals We're playing a a, a competition? Do we have to act like animals? Why do you think there's so many fights in the stands? It's not not because we were in our apartments for a year by ourselves. It's because it, you know, that's just the culture now is the, the look at me culture and the, You know the the trolling culture and all that and it's just all gonna keep getting worse
0: Okay, I think everything you said is correct and fair and I agree with you. I think I, I think that if you are Directing something at another player it should be flagged I mean that's literally the rule the problem I have is that some of the clips I saw it was not directed at anybody I mean the the more the the one that I saw that was that was truly bad was the Colts player the running back who took a whole pile with him for 15 yards drop the ball is walking forward where there are no players and literally is just kind of like flexing and continuing to walk. That to me is bullshit because that. See, like, I thought me,
1: I I thought when I saw that I thought it was because he, like he just dropped it in front of the ref. and I thought he showed up the ref a little bit, which is still very very sensitive on the ref's part and kind of nonsense. But you know that's I didn't think it was tor- I don't think that was a taunt. I thought that was more of an like just being like
0: it's just. I mean, even having this conversation, it's like, oh, it was a little bit this and kind of the... I agree. I agree. Like, I agree with you. When you're taunting another player, and I I mean this, really, like, if you're standing over a player and you're kind of, like, crossing your arms and looking at... uh, I get that. I understand that. And I also understand where that comes from, where it's like, we don't want to produce this product that kids watch where kids do this and are, you know, basically... Bringing up a generation of disrespectful competitors, I I don't necessarily agree with that, but I I understand it. It makes sense to me. You can make that argument, and fine, you want to have that. I get it. But what I saw there, I don't I don't even get. I don't understand it. I don't know. I mean, like that was clearly not standing over a guy. You know, unless he
1: said unless he said something. I mean, yeah, true. Unless he said I mean, something, but. There may have been some mother effers out there and, you know, who knows what was actually said. And that might have done it. And, you know, something, if you, you know, I'm not saying we should be a bunch of Puritans here and have everybody, you know, be G-rated. But, you know, something, a little bit of respect would be nice. You know, just, you know, play the game.
0: I mean, I've been a proponent of the, the, the DBs need to chill out thing, you know. Defensive backs really think they're hot shit when quarterbacks miss a throw. I mean, you didn't do anything, dude. Maybe you were kind of close to the wide receiver, but that was just a bad throw. You don't got to do the incomplete sign every time the guy doesn't catch the ball. It's not necessarily attributed to you.
1: That was fresh 30 years ago. (laughs) That was funny, you know – 40 years ago to do that now everything well it's such a copycat league you know at the all these guys they don't have an original bone in their body because somebody does it they all do it like what's the thing that ezekiel elliot fed? so for like for a year every asshole was doing the same thing so it's just everybody's a copycat everybody does the same and then the pendulum will swing back the other way but I, i to me i think the taunting thing should be kind of a rule of thumb like you know it's it's you know, it's like one of those things. You know it when you see it. And if it's kind of not really sure, keep the keep the keep the flag in your pocket. Keep the whistle not being blown. But if it's something we, you just kind of know, blow it. And let's try to prevent. You know, let's let's make this game where something we're all proud of, and we're kind of you know not just like squirmish, like ugh. You know, because it's really it's it's when these guys just act like dicks. It's just really uh Don't like it
0: you are you are going full boomer right now
1: we oh well i'm old what do you want i mean we we could be dicks on twitter which i'm sure we are um you know at the cranky fan and at football underscore grump but we're also you know we're sitting on our couch this is us this is this is our five seconds of fame these guys are making millions of dollars playing a sport everybody wants to play and you know you know, and again, it, it, this is the Kardashianness of the, of this country, where everybody thinks they're always starring in their own reality TV show you know, at all moments, and some people kind of are. But you know, let's let's focus on, on playing the game and winning, and not being a dick.
0: My my thoughts are that whenever there's a focus on something uh, for the year, the preseason, it's always overcalled, and then it's dialed back during the regular season. Oh, so yeah, there's I mean- nothing. This is something that I think is going to affect Odell Beckham more than anybody else. <laughs> to be completely honest, who? I mean, I'm right though, right? Who, who? Who are you talking about? You know who I'm talking about. I'm right though. I mean, it's every play, so yeah. I he's going to have to change, or he's going to negate every single thing he does.
1: Let's let's him get a stay on the field for a little bit first, and let's see him. Let's see him stop hating every quarterback he plays with first. Then we we'll worry about his, you know, his antics.
0: Um, just a few other things I want to mention about this game. Isaac Yadam looks like he's still a capable starter, and he's going to be a, a guy off the bench for us. That is such a ridiculous upgrade, the fact that a capable starter is a backup for us. Um, that, that He looks just as good as he did last year. looks fine.
1: He's in my notes, yeah. And then the last
0: thing, it's just a, a pair of special teams notes here. Matt Cole was signed by the Giants, and it was one of those throwaway guys I don't even think I mentioned by name. As I was <laughs> acquired last week and down to punt. I mean, perfectly. He was running just parallel with the goal line. There, smacked it. It unfortunately rolled all the way out to the nine. But still, the nine is a lot better than the twenty. So, sure. absolutely fantastic job downing that punt. He definitely saved himself from the first cutdowns this week. Um, I seriously doubt he's going to be one of the one of the ones that brings us down to eighty five. But also of note, Cam Brown getting gunner snaps uh well i don't know how often an outside linebacker gets gunner snaps but he got all of them and he looked fucking good oh my god first guy down there every single time we punted
1: now for something like that is that something where you're like coach i want to do it or they're just kind of like okay this guy's quick this guy's got something like how does that happen because you're right that's not a normal position that you see guys doing that
0: I don't know, but I would say with Joe Judge's team, this is an experiment that the coaches had. I think they want I think they always want to see how many things a guy can do. And I think that's evident actually with Carter Coughlin and moving him to the inside, but still having some packages where he lines up on the outside. I think that versatility is really good. And they want these guys who, especially the depth guys, the guys who are the first guys off the bench, what what else do you offer me? What else can you help me with? You know, and, and they, they...
1: Prove you need to be on this roster. I don't, I don't think you should be on the roster. Tell me why I'm wrong. Give me something else to work with. We need, you know, multi-talented guys who do multiple things, and uh, that's the best way you can do it.
0: Yeah, I think they knew Cam Brown's speed right from the get-go, but also, you know, one of the things that gunners have to do is split double teams. You know, a lot of times they have two guys on one guy on the outside, and they're just really supposed to be slowing him down and directing him away from the return path, you know, usually out of bounds or something like that. But he... Being that he is not a hundred and ninety pound safety or or corner, he's an outside. He's got some strength to him. He can shove these guys apart and run down there. And that really looked. I mean, I didn't get some great all twenty two angle, unfortunately, for this game. So, you know, this is just the the broadcast version. But looked like he was just bullying his way through these guys and then kicked up the speed to create separation from them and get downfield. I thought it was a really, really interesting, you know, if this is Cam Brown or not, if it's Joe Judge who's making this decision and this, who started this, doesn't really matter. Joe Judge followed through with it in the preseason game. It was a cool experiment. looks like it's something that, that, that worked.
1: Uh, I got two updates, corrections for us as we get ready to finish the show tonight. Uh, Follow-up. That Giants Bucks game was in two thousand nine. Yes, Giants, was right, the first Giants, Giants team twenty four nothing, and I'll get bonus points if you remember who the quarterback was for Tampa Bay. Hmm, Hang on. Two thousand nine. Correct. Game was down in Tampa. Mm-hmm. No, I
0: remember that. I remember it was also, I think, in October. I think everyone was wearing pink. I think Cadillac Williams was still on the roster for Tampa Bay as well.
1: The game was September twenty seventh, two thousand nine.
0: Damn, I was close though. Yeah. Um It's going to kill me, but I I no, I don't know who it was.
1: Byron Leftwich, ladies and yes! gentlemen. Byron Leftwich. 22 yards passing on 7 completions. Hell that of a game. Was,
0: that game I do remember, that was when our linebacker's coach got promoted to replace Steve Spagnuolo for the defensive coordinator position. I want to say his first name was Mike. I don't remember. His last name was something normal like shannon or something
1: um they it the giants had the ball for 43 minutes of the game <laughs> but I, I know
0: that they dumped the gatorade bath on him but i think immediately following that was like the saints game and that whole season just went down the toilet and he got eventually fired that defensive coordinator at the end of the year
1: the bucks had five first downs four on the final drive <laughs> damn yeesh
0: i believe they fumbled the opening kickoff as well
1: the Bucks had averaged 401 yards of offense in the previous two games in losses, but not today. The <laughs> running, back, running backs, 10 carries for 28 yards. <laughs> Antonio Bryant caught the first reception of the game. The first reception by a Buccaneers wideout game with 927 left in the game. Yeesh. Oh
0: yeah, that game was I remember, I remember laughing when that game started, and I think I was just kind of in and out of the room. It wasn't even worth watching all the way.
1: Also, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure I was there for it.
0: Was that the plantar fasciitis game for Eli Manning? Was that the game that he started, played for like two quarters, and they just pulled his ass?
1: Uh, I am looking here. No. Oh, okay. No. Um, second little uh, follow-up from last week, and we want to give a shout-out to Bruce, our one of our buddies from the 124 crew. We were talking about giant uniforms and why were they wearing red and we thought it was silly and we didn't like it. Well, Bruce says – first of all, most important thing he says is great job on the podcast. Mm, yes, but, uh, this is the most important. Yes, but for historical purposes, the Giants prior to 19- 1953 were red jerseys at home. Prior to 53, they wore red jerseys for most home games. From 37 to 52, the typical Giants home uniform consisted of solid red or blue jerseys with white block numbers, blue helmets, gray pants, with red or blue socks, and black cleats. They were no designated home or road uniforms until 1957. So, you know, the NFL is not really documented in the early days that much. They didn't have, you know, the old – you can't look on YouTube and find – the game of the week from 1961 in like the original video footage, you usually see film highlights, black and white. So we, you really can't tell, is it a blue uniform or a red uniform, but it's interesting that when we brought back those alternatives, Jack, and I just associated with, with, with uh, Jeremy Shockey era giants, but that was one of their standard uniforms. And big blue is not something that this team was primarily known for in the beginning. So thanks to Bruce for, uh, for lightning us.
0: no that that is definitely super interesting and my knowledge of um my knowledge of everything pre-super bowl era is a little shoddy i know i know players um but i don't really know team things too much or you know which teams were good which ones were bad and, and things like that so uh that that is super interesting again though i'm not big on tradition for the sake of tradition so the red can go fuck itself i we are big
1: blue um I- like I said, it reminds me of Jeremy Shockey, and I would like to forget it, that punk ever existed yeah, on this yeah, team. It
0: does remind me. Um, lastly, before we go, I just want to point out some new news that happened today, Monday. That's news for you guys Tuesday as well, I guess. Um, Clayton Thorson was waived. You know, we mentioned that earlier, but he's been replaced. They got a former Michigan State quarterback, Brian Lewerke. I'm not really entirely sure how to say Lewerke?
1: it. Lewerke? Is it Brian Lewerke?
0: Yeah, I guess.
1: Well, the fact we don't know who he is and we're trying to debate how to say his last name should tell you kind of all you really need to know about him.
0: He's a third-string quarterback. He's a completely different mold from Clayton Thorson. He is much more mobile than Thorson. He will take off and run. He did it a lot at Michigan State. Um, he actually reminds me more of Kyle Laletta than anything. Right, so I truly never understood the Clayton Thorson thing for this team. I didn't get it. Um, he didn't seem like the mold of Daniel Jones. He didn't replicate anything. And then I thought, you know, he's practice squad. He's supposed to be able to be whatever, but that wasn't the case either because they had Joe Webb for the practice squad, you know, throughout last year. So I never understood Clayton Thorson to begin with for this team. This seems without me knowing a whole lot yet, this seems more in the line of what I would have expected from them. So there's that. And then on top of that, they have traded a 2023 sixth round pick to the Houston Texans for um, a DB, but really just a special teams ace. Keon Croson um, was a former Patriot, has ties to Joe Judge that way. He's a special teams ace, pretty much says everything you need to know. The interesting thing is, is this guy coming in to, A, completely eradicate the idea of Nate Ebner re-signing with his team, now that his Olympic dreams are over, or whatever, and B, does this allow for a guy to stick on the roster that does not contribute to special teams. And what does this mean for Matt Cole?
1: I think he's just trying to collect talent right now and let it all sort out at the end. At yeah. this point, I mean, it's I so it's early. True.
0: A 6 round pick 2 years from now really is a nothing price.
1: Yeah. I mean, who knows, you know. Predicting like 2 years down the road is impossible anyway and you know, who knows. So, I think you as you're building a as you're building a team, you worry about kind of the intermediate stuff, and a six-round pick is not going to make that much of a difference anyway, so...
0: Mm-mm. No, no, no. They, those those things come and go. I mean, we had two six-rounds this year. You know, we we had some other picks that we traded around to move up for Aaron Robinson and, and things like that, so it' not really... I mean, you would hope that you don't trade anything for a guy that you cut, you know, obviously, but... If you do, it, you really – you're losing pennies, so whatever.
1: Look, if you don't like Dave Gettleman, you think it's a horrible trade, and you'll be cursing him out in two years when we don't have a six-round pick.
0: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. We've gone a bit over time here, but, you know, doesn't really matter. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at football underscore grump, at The Cranky Fan, on Sunday – uh, the Giants will be playing the Cleveland Browns for preseason game. They're going out there to practice as well. Um, so, you know, obviously that's going to be the focus for the next episode. Next week, next Tuesday morning, first thing in the morning, you will have this episode ready to go if you followed us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you normally get your podcast things. If you're subscribed to us for free, then this episode is there for you.
1: Right, and we do these episodes. We record them on Monday nights because we need a little time to digest everything. We're trying not to, we try not to have the knee-jerk reactions that a lot of people have. You know, we want like a day to kind of marinate our thoughts and everything. So that's why these shows come out on Tuesday mornings as opposed to Monday because we want to make sure that you know we're not just spouting off. I mean, that's what Twitter's for. If you want to hear us, just go off right after a game. You'll get that. And we have a lot of exciting things in the works. For, you know, well, addition, ad- adi- season, yeah. additional media content besides our normal show where you may see some of the uh, the raining and raging and the uh, the stars and farts that come out immediately. But, uh, you know, for at least for preseason, you know, you, you'll you catch us on Tuesday mornings with, uh, you know, a 24-hour step-back approach to these things. So that's why we do those.
0: That's right. So we'll see you guys all next week with our next episode. Go Giants! Giants.